That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. When I first heard of Dan Lebetard and Stu Gatz, they didn't have a national show yet. They were down in Miami, and I was working as an update anchor at ESPN 1000 in Chicago on the Tom Waddle, Mark Silverman show, Waddle and Sylvie. And they played a soundbite from from the Lebetard show of Dan and Stu talking about how Dan, for some reason, had bought a Tom Waddle jersey back when Waddle played for the Bears. And... Stu Gotts said something to the effect of, but why Tom Waddle? And they went back and forth about his uh, relative mediocrity or, or, you know, average play. Um, and I, I was very loyal to Waddle and Sylvie, and I had never heard of these guys. And I especially disliked how a guy named Stu Gotts, which I then Googled to discover, was a slang for Wiener, without knowing his name was John Wiener, or perhaps not caring, um... I kind of thought that they were typical radio douchebags. <laughs> I thought they were local guys uh, who, you know, I, I, you can imagine uh, with the number of shows that are actually probably called, you know, Bobby and the Wiener or, or you know, Jimmy Jimmy and the Big Dick, uh, that I, uh, I thought that that's what they were. Um, and it wasn't until a while later uh, when I started doing um, national writing and, and radio and stuff of my own that I got a call to be on the show and first uh, experience what it was to actually interact with the guys. Um, but never could I have imagined back when I was uh, doing updates at ESPN 1000 that the, uh, the two guys talking about the Tom Waddle jersey would end up being such a huge part of my career and introduce me to so many people and uh, just would become such a big part of my life. Um, and so that's why I'm here recording this. While I'm technically on vacation, most shows are off. Um, but it's fitting, not only because Dan always tried but has never been able to fully teach me how to say no, <laughs> to take a break, to slow down, to not get caught up in the machine that's ESPN, uh, but also because I was always willing to work if it meant for this show, even if it was inconvenient or exhausting. I used to fly down to Miami to do Highly Questionable for a week and do the radio show a couple days and... I would literally stay in a hotel directly across the street from the Clevelander because I wouldn't have any free time. It was 9.30 till about 2.30 uh, doing uh, radio and Highly Questionable. And then it was an, uh, an hour break to take a walk and grab some lunch and then back at the studio from about 3.30 till 9 p.m. for Spain and Fitz or Spain and Company. And uh, it was exhausting. I didn't have any free time. People would say, oh, Miami's so fun. And I would say, I don't get to do anything. I don't get to go out. I'm so tired by the time I'm done with the show at nine. I eat dinner in my hotel room via, you know, Grubhub or whatever, uh, and wake up and do it again. But I would always say yes. I would always say yes. Cause I wanted to be a part of the show. I wanted to be friends with those guys. I wanted to be part of the cool club. And that was, uh, undoubtedly, the Levitard show. Um, and, you know, even though I was usually tired and working all day, every day, um, I was always excited to be a part of it. And I would always leave happy and smiling because uh, I would have a good time with them. So it is fitting that I'm recording this uh, during vacation. Um, because if it's about those guys, I'm willing, I'm willing to do the work. Um, this is, by the way, 
That's what she said with Sarah Spain, the final episode under the Levitard and Friends umbrella. And uh, I wanted to send off the guys the way they deserved. And I thought about preparing for this like I normally would, maybe writing it all out. Uh, But one of the things that I learned from the show and I'm continuing to work on as a person in both life and work is just loosening up and finding the magic in doing just enough prep that you can relax and let it go when the light turns on. Um, It takes actually an incredible amount of work to sound like you don't care and have it be entertaining. Uh, Like you're just letting the lazy river take you. Uh, And once you're in the river, you feel confident in all that work and prep and talent and just let go. And so today I'm going to try to do this without overthinking it and without applying my type A sensibilities too much, without writing it all out. Um, I'm going to try to let the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts sort of lead the way. And it does have a sort of feeling of eulogizing people while they're still alive. This is, of course, not uh, the death of Dan and Stu and the shipping container or the show at all. Um, It does have real, you know, don't attend your funerals, a guy named Phil Shifley vibes. Except in this case, I I think it is a good thing for the guys to attend their own funeral and to be reminded once again what an impact they've had on all of us and the company and the guests and listeners, even their competitors. Um, And so... Uh, it might be a little emotional at times. Some of the people who I, I reached out to share some memories uh, certainly got pretty heartfelt. Um, and those who are maybe missing that you wish you could hear from, I probably reached out to them um, and they didn't get back to me or they didn't have time or, or whatever. Uh, but those who did, man, did they really speak to all the best things about Dan and Stu and Mike and the shipping container and the show itself. Um, funny and emotional and touching and just the memories and reflections that you're going to hear from a handful of people who are really important to the show and vice versa. Um, I asked them to remember a favorite bit or moment from HQ with Dan or from the radio show, uh, from working with, with the Levitard and Friends crew and what it meant to them. And then I'm going to share some of my own thoughts about the show and made it so special um, on its own, but also within the larger landscape here at ESPN, because Like I said, you're still going to get Dan and Stu and the guys somewhere else, and they're going to be more free to talk about everything and anything and swear when they want and invite on guests and do content that they otherwise might not hear. And that's going to be awesome. But it's going to be different, and it'll take a little getting used to. Um, But for them and for the listener, it's not going to be nearly as different as it is for us here. Um, It's kind of like when a best friend moves away and they go somewhere new And they get to start everything over and they make new friends and they find new favorite places. But you stay in the same place you were, but now they're not in it. And I think ESPN is going to feel the reverberations of the show um, for years. And I hope that it does. And I hope that those who still work here work to keep the spirit of the show and the connections made across different shows and between people that work here alive. And I hope the freedom and self-expression and honesty that they encourage um, will stick with us and we'll, you know, keep pushing for it no matter what part of the company we're in. Um, and I already think you can see it in places, um, like, you know, the new look NFL live where the relationships are really what makes it tick and hum. It's, you know, great info and analysis, but it's just a really good rapport between all the analysts there. And you can certainly see it on the radio where my show Spain and Fitz and, and Golik juniors with Chanae, especially try to think outside the box when we can, um, Chanae, uh, you know, brings her own vibes. But Golik Jr. and I, of course, being so much a part of Levitard and Friends, um, 
getting exposed to what it is to try to approach things differently. Uh, I think trying not to be beholden to whatever sports radio tropes have been established forever and run into the ground. That's really important to us. And we're not going to nail it like Levitard. Um, that, that show works on a whole different level. But even just bringing in those pieces and that attitude, I think, can can make things feel different and and fresh. And so we're hoping to keep doing that. And so many of the people who shared memories with me talked about what makes uh, Dan Levitard show us two got so special. And it's that freshness and comfortability. It's honesty and not taking yourself too seriously. The connection over and over and over again, people talked about connection. And I remember going to dinner with Eric Rideholm, who's the producer for so many of the great shows on ESPN, including Highly Questionable. And um, just talking to him about a show that he was putting together that was about to come out in a few months called Jesus and Marrow. And he said... It's the same formula as so many other shows. It's just do these people make you want to watch them because of their connection, the way that you do with PTI or I think with Around the Horn or obviously with uh, Levitard Show with Stu Gatz. And, of course, Jesus Samaro blew up after that, and it was clear to see when you watched it. I'm watching this in part just because of these two guys. I like to see them interact and spend time together, regardless of the topic and what they're what they're talking about. Um and that's the secret to so much of television is putting two people together um, that have that. And, uh, you know, Greg Cody uh, has known Dan longer than anyone. So he's one of the people I reached out to. And the uh, the forever victim of the hard network out and endless coffer into the microphone, breaker of personal news, deliverer of clever turns of phrase in his back of my days, and ager of the show by several decades, uh, sent in some remembrances and, and did point out one of the reasons the show is so beloved, that the people on it were having as much fun as the listener. And I can't remember how many times the laughs of the guys and, and gals on the show would be contagious. I'd be walking down the street or midway through a work, workout and listening and just laugh out loud and people would stare at me. Um, it was sort of a daily occurrence with the show. Uh, we knew they were having fun. We wanted to be a part of it uh, as often as we could. Uh, here's Greg Cody talking about that. I'm not sure where to begin, so I'll just like uh, start and uh, and get going. I've known Dan uh, since long before he became what he became. Um, I remember he was a Miami Herald intern right out of the University of Miami, and he likes to tell the story about seeing Edwin Pope and myself in a in a Hurricanes baseball press box and thinking, uh, that's what I want to be. <laughs> Which my, my first thought there, uh, on, on what occasion would Edwin Pope and me have both been at a, a UM college baseball game? And, and my second thought, uh, geez, aim higher, Dan, Christ. But the local newspaper was still pretty vibrant back then, circa early 90s, and uh, Dan wanted nothing more to be the face of Miami sports. And damned if he didn't become that. And the voice, too. Um, we became fast friends, um, even though it was obvious uh, he was going to run roughshod over over my career and, and that of just about anybody else because he was such a generational talent. Um, Al, Dan, and I have been on vacation together to Mardi Gras a couple of times. Um, I go to his parents' annual Easter picnic uh, when I had major surgery in September of 2018, uh, Dan and Poppy appeared uh, in my hot in my hospital room. Um, 
he's been a close friend and you know his his professional modus operandi has always been that the show would be a success if the people on it were having as much fun as he hoped the listeners were so he surrounded himself with friends uh, luckily for me uh, including me and later my son Chris became an intern on his show unpaid at first and earned his way to a full-time role before recently being among ESPN's massive layoffs. Um, I didn't need what happened next to, to let me know who Levitard is, um, but it let a lot of other people know. You know, Christopher getting fired by ESPN without Dan's knowledge or ability to have a say was the last straw. Uh, and that loyalty to people he cares about is a hallmark of Dan's integrity. You know, he's been there for me and my family um, because we have become among those he considers family. And it's a, it's a pretty wonderful place to be. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry this hasn't been funnier or, or included times Dan has really pissed me off um, because there are those times. But I, I guess holiday season in general and at the end of this cursed year in particular seems a pretty good time to count blessings if you can. And I can. And for me, Dan is one of those. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Israel Gutierrez, uh, flag football king and owner of many adult onesies, god of Around the Horn Halloween shows, goes back almost as far as Cody does, 20 years with Dan, and he reflected on, on how the show affects you as a guest and then also how you affect it. And he's right. It's wild how, you know, one little opinion could go from a one minute take into a full hour of show content and a recurring joke and how someone's personality could be mined for content in ways that even they could never have guessed, you know, the commish thing, like me being a stickler for the rules and getting frustrated with Stu Gotts trying to move around his powdered donuts until they became dust and he could put them in the garbage instead of eating them. Um, me thinking that it's unfair and stupid to have a grit of death unless you actually fulfill the punishments and don't cheat. Uh, that turned me into the commish. One or two mentions from Stu Gotts in that one show, and that's it. People come up to me in public and call me the commission. Um, they did just have a way of uh, figuring out people's best and worst qualities and sort of mining them for hilarious content. And Izzy knew that as well as anyone. So I've known or worked with Dan Levitard since 2000, and so it's been 20 years. And when I heard he was getting into a radio show, I knew it was going to be successful. What I didn't know is how everybody else around that radio show would somehow affect, I want to say infect, but affect my life. Um, I'd met Stu Gatz before he started doing this particular radio show, and he didn't know how to be this person yet. He was always this guy, but he didn't know how to be this guy yet. So he came across as uh, less than inviting as a human being and leave it to Dan to get the best out of him and turn him into sort of a national treasure and somebody who 
frankly, um, I think about on the daily. And that just keeps me going to other guys on the show, whether it be a Greg Cody. I probably quote Greg Cody more often in my life than any other human being, whether it be Shramp, whether it be Baby, whether it be Eisner. It doesn't matter. There's always something there when it comes to Cody that makes me uh, quote him. And that's something that I never would have guessed because that's a guy I also worked with at the Miami Herald and never saw this side of him until now. And then you throw in the rest of the crew and, you know, Mike Ryan, Billy Gill, Chris Cody. I mean, I had those guys over for brunch one time at my house. And I had Anthony, or who the hell is Tony as we know him, um, on my flag football team one tournament. So they've, again, infected my life somehow or another. There are way too many uh, actual memories to laugh about uh, when it comes to these guys in this show. But... Um, just recognizing how much they've literally infiltrated me on the daily is probably the best uh, compliment for this show. And man, it's going to be sad to see them go. And honestly, Izzy knows better than most how letting the truth lead the way can sort of open up your life and endear you to others and break down your walls, break down theirs. Uh, so it's fitting that he pointed out how Stu Gotts just being himself, honestly, somehow makes him endearing. Uh, whereas faking being something else, a more normal, less fraudulent human, uh, actually made him disingenuous and off-putting, right? Uh, one of the greatest gifts of the Levitard show with Stugatz is, is just a space to succeed or try something and make fun of it when it fails, uh, to really be yourself and own all the idiosyncrasies that like you used to feel uncomfortable or insecure about, Um to lean into who you are and own how that might entertain people or inform them or engage them. And, um, you know, it's especially important to take hits and, and own your mistakes and own your flaws. And I have to admit that's something that I struggle with in this business, not so much in life, although I am a bit of a, a know-it-all. I can easily make fun of myself, um, but I have trouble doing it so much in this business because as a woman particularly, um, you already have enough people doubting you and talking shit about you and assuming you know nothing, assuming you're not qualified, assuming you don't put in the work, assuming you're a groupie or you're in it for, you know, meeting the guys or that you're, you know, a pretty face and you didn't de de deserve the job. I mean, there's it's endless. And I don't know that people outside of the business or even men in the business, I don't know that anyone who doesn't live it can truly understand how that sort of becomes insidious in nature and how you can push back on it all you want and you cannot believe it and know it's not true, but still have it affect how you carry yourself. And so, you know, when I first got to the show, part of the reason my reputation was as a hard ass is because I am one for sure. And I am a stickler for the rules, but also because, um, you know, I, I was way more so than now pretty guarded in this business about, being exposed or being caught in, in not knowing something. And there's, there's an extra amount of imposter syndrome if you're in a position where you are an anomaly and where people are constantly going to doubt you whether deserved or not. And so um, I remember my first appearance or two on, on the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gatz were phoners. I, they, they reached out and asked me to talk on a specific topic. I think Floyd Mayweather and a story I wrote about one of his upcoming fights and why people shouldn't um, pay for it and put money in his pocket as a repeated abuser who had not been held accountable in, in any meaningful way in the sport. Um, I, I think 
I'd written a story about that and they called me. And, and, and during that interview, I pushed back on Dan's opinions and I had good answers when he pushed back on mine. And I felt like he gave me a lot of respect for that. And um, I was on once or twice before I got the call from Mike Ryan to go fly down and be a guest on the show for the whole day. First woman that they had had on uh, in that capacity. And we made a lot of jokes about Steve Spain and would the opinions that I was giving be better received if somebody read them as being written by a guy and it was funny and and it's true and it's always something I'll play off of and try to have fun with instead of sinking too deep into especially because I get that I'm hit or miss <laughs> you're not you're not gonna love me and that's totally cool I am not one of those people that everyone's gonna say she's great everybody loves her but that's okay. I think if you have really strong opinions and you care about things and you want to make things different and better and call out things that are wrong, you're going to piss people off. I'm okay with that. I'm only okay with it, though, if I'm pissing people off with my, you know, if they disagree with my opinions or I think I'm wrong um, on my take about some athlete, um, not just because it's a woman saying it. And so there was a kind of guard up about being being called out for, for being wrong. And that manifested itself in ways that made it tough to make fun of myself because I knew it was already coming, right? If you are constantly being attacked on social media uh, for a variety of things, uh, including things you didn't even know you should be insecure about, I have since been alert, alerted to the fact that I have linebacker shoulders and I should definitely worry about those. I should add it to the list of things. Um, but if that's happening all the time, you don't want to offer up more things for people to make fun of that, that they didn't even know that you felt insecure about or that they didn't even know. And so um, one of the best gifts from the show was eventually you realize it's not fun to be on the show and not make fun of yourself and not play along and be too insecure to, to, to take shots and take hits and laugh them off. And so much of that was a gift from Dan. And I say it all the time in interviews that Dan is so knowledgeable and so prepared, but he's willing to admit his blind spots and he's willing to acknowledge that you can't do this job and know everything. There's too much every day. It's a new trade or a stat or a piece of info or a quote that someone said in a presser and you could do your best and you can work really hard and that should be enough. You don't have to act like you know everything. And if you take yourself so seriously, then when you are someone who gets caught in a tiny error, people are going to hold it against you in a way that's entirely different than if you just own it. And so Dan occasionally announcing mid-show, I don't know who coaches the Nets or can anyone name three players on the Nets? I don't know why I always use the Nets as an example. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work anymore because they're they're gonna be real good. It's gonna be a problem for the East. But um, that opened me up and allowed me to say I'm comfortable enough with making a mistake or sounding stupid or ruining a bit to laugh at myself instead of getting defensive. And it's it is truly a gift in this injury in industry and something that especially for for women I think just makes you so much freer as a as an entertainer and as an analyst once you're not so worried about that little mistake and what it could do to you. And it makes other people feel more comfortable too when you make that error because they realize, oh, you're not backtracking and you're not freaking out and getting defensive. You're just owning it. And um, I remember uh, the uh, producer of Waddle and Sylvie, Jeff Meller, when, uh, when he was in, in, in the studio every day, I was still working for those guys when I first went uh, to go do the show. And he said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're getting to do that. That's my absolute favorite show on the network. I said, really? I didn't, I haven't heard much of it. Um, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. And he tried to give me some tips. They don't, 
They don't throw to break like a normal show, right? They don't say, coming up on the show, we're going to talk to whoever. They just kind of wait till there's a funny bit and they they let it end there. And I, of course, immediately stepped on one of those in the first... Uh, in the first time I, I, I went down, flew down and, and did the show for the day. And I learned about it being, you know, a dance. Um, I remember I didn't know what the club was the first Friday I was on. I thought we were at a break and I just sort of asked about it on the air mid-show. I thought we were at a break. I'm like, what's this? What's the club? And Dan's trying to explain it as the music is starting. Um, it was so it was the dance. But, you know, it was also sort of like the balloon game where, you, you know, you're all in a room, presumably with kids, although I'm sure adults play this. Um and you can't let the balloon touch the ground. And you never wanted to be the one that let it drop. And if you messed up a bit or you stepped on uh, he's that guy drop um, or you don't get the show and you accidentally talked over it as Dan's hitting it, um, you never wanted to fit out instead of in. And it was stressful. It was stressful to drop in and keep it up. Even if you listened every day, it was stressful to try to keep up with the rhythm and the back and forth and know when you're supposed to be exchanging glances with someone and quiet until they do their bit and um and you know part of that it goes back then you can't take yourself too seriously you're gonna mess it up and then you're gonna you're gonna get it right and Mina Kimes is the perfect example to me of someone who I was doing tv just a little bit before she was regularly on I started doing around the horn and and then she came on I started doing Dan Levitard show Stugatz and then she came in and I remember she reached out for advice just on you know, first of all, some of the logistics of like, you know, the show and how to do it, but, but more so dealing with the reactions from people and how rude people were about, you know, what you wear and, and how you talk and every little thing about yourself that you didn't know to hate. Um, and she went from zero to a billion in such a short time. Um, you know, she went from a little bit unsure of herself and, and Stu coaching her up on the hot takes to being Elmo and DMX and uh, offering up her Etch-A-Sketch and watercolor masterpieces and, you know, continuing a feud as Pablo's worst and more successful enemy. Um, she just opened up like a flower, like so many people do on this show, where they become more truly and genuinely themselves because they just feel comfortable. And she hits on that here in what she sent me, how the show's part of a club that you really want to belong to and where you can let yourself open up and be comfortable sinking into the awkwardness, uh, thriving in the great moments and whatever's in between. And in my opinion, one of the best parts of, of sort of growing up and embracing your weirdness and who you are is not needing to fit in. There's such a need to fit in, in, in school especially. And then you get older and you you bring something to the table that's interesting and different and cool and quirky and people love it. And, and you find the other people who like those similar things and you offer up an opinion that they've never heard or, um, are something that they've never seen. And that's embraced in such a way. Uh, and in Mina's case, it's of course, uh, knowing that you suck at impressions and doing them anyway. So it was really hard to pick something from the Lebshard show that jumps out in my mind. They're just, so many bits and segments and characters and conversations that have meant a lot to me. But the one I th that I think is my favorite from the last few years is Roy's Realm. Um, the first time, I can't remember the first time I heard it. I want to say it was 2018, 2017. But I, I just thought it was the funniest thing I had ever heard in my life. Um, just the impressions they're so good chris cody was so good at it at the old timey medieval 
Mike Ryan's amazing. The shunning of Dan, Roy, how deadpan he is amidst it all, sort of being the straight man, but also being the king. Just all of it was so funny. So naturally, uh, someone who used to spend a fair amount of time in Miami visiting when I was doing HQ um, and would sometimes come on the radio show, I wanted to be part of it because I love this sort of world building. And um, the problem is that, as listeners to the show know, I, Mina Kimes, suck at accents. I just can't do them. I'm terrible. I've always sucked. They've always sounded like the same accent, which is Australian, generally Australian. But also, if you if I was trying to impersonate an Australian person, nobody would think it was Australian somehow. So when I first came in, the character that I developed uh, to be part of Roy's realm was the wench. But again, my accent was so bad, it was distracting to everyone. So then I turned it into the witch because since I can't do an English accent or like a whatever medieval accent, I figured I'd just be really gravelly. Uh, it was, honestly, it might be the most divisive character in the history of the show. Just very, very painful to the ear, grating, really. Um, but I still really like doing it. And they, the list, some of the listeners really embraced it. And uh, they still let me do it. And to me, the, the whole thing is kind of the show in a nutshell, right? Because it's like a club you really want to belong to. And it doesn't matter who you are or whether you can do accents. If you get the show, if you like what they're doing, you are part of the club. And even if, you know, it means Dan is ridiculing you under a horrible accent, you are still part of the club. I will miss that. I'll miss those those days so without further ado i will do the witch accent one more time <clears throat> i'm sorry this is a trigger warning if you're listening and you have the volume turned up um, you should probably turn it down Roy, where is the princess uh, not because i want to eat her i just want to see her one more time and something like roy's realm and mina's witch and all of those different bits are first that they are so organic and they spring from a random aside or a joke or a bit that becomes a rejoin and you hear it enough and it leads to something, but also how difficult they are while f feeling and seeming effortless and throwaway and silly. It is really hard to make a show like this and make it funny and not fall flat and not feel like it's trying too hard. And people try to copy it. I try to copy it. I mean, the number of shows I've done where we, we try to have, you know, what ends up being scheduled fun. And it doesn't work that way. You could try to make sure your show has levity and moments that are silly and talk about things other than sports, but it's the trying for it that sinks it so much. And so the amount of work and talent and prep that you need to come across as loose and unprepared is vast. It's just you can't see it. And that's the point. The show is great because you don't feel that Mike is like a hamster on a wheel scurrying to find that soundbite and clip that off and turn that into a music, you know, turn that quote into, into music somehow in the five minutes behind the scenes while they're talking about something else. Or Dan is filling because he wants to give them time to go grab this clip from 10 years ago on the show. All of that is so difficult and so impossible for people to copy without 
the chemistry that they have back there and without the brilliance of all the guys back there. I mean, even think about the times you've heard people try to have a silly conversation about, you know, crunchy or creamy peanut butter or 90s baseball or whether you return the, the, the grocery store cart and how tedious and boring and uninteresting they are. And somehow, because these guys all have worked together for so long and, and know each other so well, it instead becomes hilarious. And you think about things in a way you've never thought about them before. And you have fun because they're having fun in that moment. And uh, Amin El Hassan, he of the fake injury in the foot race uh, to Fast Chris, and the uh, Jordan logo American Ninja Warrior fail, and the uh, many other <laughs> high-profile failings. Uh, when he sent in to me, he remembered the show as sort of a place that felt wild and untamed, uh, kind of like his stranded on a desert island quarantine look, um, and how it was sort of a total shit show when it comes to traditional quote-unquote pre-show prep. That doesn't mean it; they weren't prepared and there wasn't work put in, but it was you showed up, and if you were used to radio where they said, all right, we're going to talk about, you know, what have the Nets uh, done in their most recent game and are they the best team in, in the East and, you know, are the Jets screwed because they don't have the first pick in the draft and what does it mean for Trevor Lawrence and all of those things laid out like a normal show would. Here's the A block and the B block. There's none of that. You just sit down and hold on for dear life and hope they don't talk about a topic that you know nothing about. Um, here's Amin El Hassan on that. Oh, Levitard show memories. Oh, let me see. Okay, so... I think what people need to realize is that while they might have a general idea of some big topics today that they may or may not want to get into, the actual show has no rundown, and it flows very much like a free-flowing conversation. It's stream of consciousness, and if we get on one topic, then we're going to talk about that until somebody brings up a different stimulus. And I can think of no better way to describe that than my very first time on the show. Uh, I remember... First of all, I showed up 30 minutes in advance thinking that we're going to have like a, a pre-show meeting or something to talk about what we're going to talk about. And I was pretty much the first person there who wasn't in the shipping container. Uh, so I remember I, this is the infamous day where I ordered a sandwich and started eating and Dan walked by me thinking that somehow the waiter was eating sandwiches in the studio and didn't bat an eye towards. Anyways, that's not the story I want to tell. The story I want to tell is... We were talking about something that's popular on the internet. I can't remember what it was. And I remembered an article that I had read that morning about the most popular emojis in the world by nation. Now, this was something I hadn't shared with Mike or any of the uh, shipping container guys. Dan hadn't known about it. Stugatz didn't know about it. So I, I brought it up and, you know, they were intrigued. They want to talk about it. I said, well, what's the most popular you know, you know, so, you know, tell us more about this. And I said, oh, well, most popular emoji in the world, in France, for instance, is the poop emoji. And the most popular one in uh, England is the crying laughing face. And I went through all these countries. And then Dan says, so what's the most popular one in the United States? And I said, eggplant. And instantly, everybody, the shipping container, Stugat and Dan, all start chanting in unison, on cue, USA. USA, USA. How, I mean, they didn't plan it, it happened. And that's the show. The show is the familiarity and the chemistry between everybody for them to be introduced to a topic that wasn't even prepped for and to know exactly 
how to handle it and how to navigate it. And that's what I'm going to miss the most is being on a show where it was so chemistry driven and, and structure was, was something to be scoffed at almost, you know, it's magical. and And it was an honor to be a part of that magic. I mean, either that or the time we had Vince Gilligan on the show and Dan kept asking him fanboy questions about Breaking Bad over and over again. And what about this? And we'll give you that. And the guy was clearly bored. And so I broke in with a question. of, Had you ever thought about rebooting Gilligan's Island? And let me tell you something. That dude's voice lit up. And for the first time in that god-awful interview, he was excited to talk. But no, Dan had to ask his precious Breaking Bad questions. And he took it out on me. Sir, it is not my fault that Vince Gilligan likes my questions more than he likes yours. Good riddance, Dan Lebitard. And I have to say, Amin really embraced that. Even when Dan and Stu and the shipping container and anyone else weren't around with all the bells and whistles and jokes and content and support. He really stuck to that. Let's not have a plan. Let's see what happens. Even when it was just me trying to drive a three-hour show and not have any help from him. <laughs> oh, there was one there. It was a real, you know, uh, white fingertips. Is that the, is that the saying? A finger? Either way, it was a wild ride, and Amin really embraced that. Um, Pablo Torre, uh, noted, noted Harvard grad, uh, runner-up host of the ESPN Daily, uh, who often is heard with some highfalutin accompaniment music, uh, was often the beneficiary of the madness uh, that happened at the Clevelander, even if he, like me, is probably more used to um, studying and preparing and being ready for whatever. He effortlessly sort of dove into a lot of the absurdities, and that's what he wanted to remember here. Um, and he remembers it kind of like a uh, tortured frat pledge or maybe a, a distressed POW <laughs> sort of his his fondest memories appear to be the worst of times uh like he's still caught in the throes of Stockholm syndrome um you know like a pledge sort of the bonding came through the shared distress <laughs> here's what he had to say Ugh. I don't uh, it's Pablo by the way Sarah hi I don't know how to do this I don't know how to summarize how much all of this has meant to me Ugh. I mean the radio show, highly questionable with Dan and Poppy and Stu and Mike and Chris and Roy and Billy and Allison and Tony and then Chris again after obviously he got fired and he got rehired as Dan's personal assistant. I, I don't know how to begin to encapsulate how much all of that meant to me, how much all of the years spent working with them meant to me. I mean... On the radio show alone, where else, where else would I find myself dressed as an orca and interviewing Jesse the Body Ventura, former governor of Minnesota and action movie star and apparently 9-11 conspiracy theorist. Like, he started throwing theories at me while I was dressed as an orca and... You sort of saw what happened from there. It all felt somehow the most appropriate way to do that. Um, Where else could I... I mean, where else could I be punished for losing a football pool by being forced to eat just a plastic tub of gas station pickled 
pig's feet that Mike Ryan had bought off Amazon, I think. Like, oh man, I it it you know, you know that scene in Batman where um, Harvey Dent has fallen into the acid and he's sort of meltingly transforming into Two Face. I mean, that felt just like eating. It felt like eating um, Harvey Dent's melted face skin. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to miss that. Um, I'm going to miss Ron McGill. Ugh. Still want those wedding photos, Ron, by the way, if you're listening. Um, yeah, I, 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 look, I, I used to, I used to fly to Miami to hang out, take strolls with Stugat and Dan and all of these people in this incredibly weird universe. And that was work, you know, like I, I just want them to know that somewhere inside of me, there is a lot of, of honestly just bacteria that those days in Miami implanted in me. And for reasons that may prove ultimately quite fatal in the long run, I don't think I'm ever, ever going to get rid of that little part of me that is also part of them. Merry Christmas. Here's the thing. Uh, He's right. The bonding, you know, came because the show was genuine, whether in moments of humor or seriousness or mourning. And you all kind of went through that together. Uh, And that, of course, comes from the head of the table. And that's Dan and the heart that he puts into everything. Because one minute, you know, the show's got you in stitches over an absolutely absurd pun game based on athletes whose names sound like desserts or something. And then he goes all in on that and he takes it seriously and he does it well and he makes it great. And you're laughing so hard, but he works just as hard on something that's super heartfelt. Um, You know, he's weeping on television about a friend who passed away or a colleague who fell on hard times, or he's really aggressively getting after some journalistic um, insight or some moment of lost integrity in the sports world that he cares about. And, the awkwardness of bouncing from one to the next is something that they sort of sink into because all those feelings and letting them happen makes it less awkward and more real and more relatable and something more that felt like life and not a show so often. And Randy Scott, uh, who of course Dan hates, uh, became the unwitting target of, of friendly bullying and became sort of a show joke at the beginning. And he learned pretty quickly um, that sinking into it and and that it was love that it was that it was done in love and he became a part of something really cool my memory of the dan levitard show and my memory of the guys and of allison and who's basically the den mother right of that entire <laughs> dysfunctional circus um it it starts with like my memory is how i was sort of welcomed into um uh, initiated into the <laughs> into that that dysfunctional family um I had no idea what was going on. And I think that's sort of how a lot of those stories start, but um, especially with them. But I didn't know that I was sort of being targeted as of a friendly, loving, bullying effort by the show. 
and that's what happened in 2016 when I was on the 7 a.m. Sports Center. Um, Dan and Stu would do. It was started with Dan would do hits. They do weekly hits on the show, and one day he was wearing. He just showed up. He popped up, and he's wearing a shirt that says "I hate Randy Scott." And for someone like me who was that was my first, you know, quote unquote home on air. <laughs> first time I had a show that I could steadily rely on pop it up on my schedule. I was like, why does this guy hate me? You know, and I and I listened to the show and I I like to think I got the show, but I didn't understand why I was being <laughs> why I was the target of that. <laughs> and it was a week's long thing. Every week there'd be a different T shirt, you know, a different uh just sort of uh, you know, cold attitude from him. And it, it eventually progressed into, I hate, <laughs> one was bleep Randy Scott. One was fire Randy Scott. And then one was, I hate Randy Scott's mom, but only for producing Randy Scott. And at that point I had to really talk to my family and make them understand like, no, 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 that he's doing something really nice. Actually, he's, uh, welcoming me into, you know, um, it, like it, it introducing me to an audience. He's sort of, he's helping me because to that point I was just this guy who rotated around on sports centers, but now I, I had sort of a blessing, you know, from someone who was capable of giving such a thing. And that's, um, and that was Dan. So, um, and I'm not saying that Dan did it solo. I know Mike Ryan was involved. I know, you know, Roy and Billy and Chris and certainly Allison and, um, I know, you know, Stugatz probably didn't know what was going on. He was probably oblivious. Let's, let's be honest, but, um, but he, you know, joined in and, um, <laughs> and, uh, it progressed to, you know, like I said, that, that message about my mom. And so that now we're getting on, it's about November, 2016. And, uh, I went to my mom and I was like, Hey, would you, would you want to record a video, you know, to, uh, like respond to Dan. And I had to explain to her like, no, 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 mom, like he doesn't hate me. He doesn't hate you. This is all in good fun. And she was like, yeah, she goes, but you need to write it. Cause I'll be so nervous. And she was very, very nervous. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'll write it. And so I, I wrote some targeted Dan Lebetard looks like messages, you know? And, and I, I said, so Dan, the focus can be on Dan now. Well, to turn the tables, mom, you can say Dan Lebetard looks like, and, um, uh, the one that I remember, uh, and the one that she needed a couple tries, <laughs> she needed a couple tries to get right because first of all, she couldn't pronounce his last name. She kept going Lebetard, like she would emphasize the last syllable. But um, I said, "Mom, Dan Lebetard looks like a little league coach in South Florida whose team has suspect birth records." And she was like, "Oh, I, I don't know if I want to say that." I was like, "No, Mom, trust me. Like it's it's fine. It's all in good fun." And, uh, and she did. And she said, you know, Dan Lebetard looks like someone on a dating website who lies about his age. I think that was another one. Um, <laughs> but, but we played it. We surprised Dan with it. We played it on SportsCenter. And I think – I'm not saying there's mutual respect necessarily. But I think when I demonstrated to him that I could laugh at myself, um, which to me I think is the, at the core of the show. And I think it's at the core of the family that the Dan Lebetard show is, um, is the ability and the need really to not take yourself too seriously and, and laugh at yourself. I think once we did that, um, I think I was in, you know, and I was able to guest host the show sometimes and, um, never got to visit the, the studio though. Still haven't gotten down to South Florida, despite the fact that Stu Gatz would, would, would make that offer, uh, <laughs> whenever he was in Bristol, but it never happened. And, 
um, where I will always love these guys and always love Allison uh, is what happened about two weeks after my mom was um, after my mom did that that video for the show and talking about Dan. Um, so she was very nervous about how she looked in the video because she'd been undergoing cancer treatments for all summer uh, 2016. She had to have laser um, like proton laser treatment um, at the same time as, as chemo for this aggressive saliva gland cancer that she had. And um, she passed away two weeks after doing that video. And uh, I got a call that day is a blur. And anybody who's been through it has probably had the same feeling, but like you just you don't remember certain details or chunks of time that I, I just don't remember from that day or the next day. Um, but I remember landing in DC because I, you know, I flew home and I had a missed call from two Miami, you know, South Florida phone numbers. And one was from Dan and one was from Stugatz and they were two voicemails. And, um, for a guy that I hadn't met in person yet, not two guys I had not met yet in person. And they were just voicemails of, you know, surprise and, and sadness and, and shock and sympathy. And there were two voicemails that I <laughs> didn't deserve. Uh, and, and I certainly didn't expect. And, uh, you know, so for as blustery as, as maybe they could both appear or be or whatever, um, they're just two really good people. And then I got flowers, you know, sent to my house and food sent to my house. And I know Allison was probably driving that, but um, everybody signed the cards and it, I still have them, still have the card. And I have those memories and I will never forget that from those guys. So they can go wherever they want. They don't have to work at ESPN. They can go anywhere they want, but that's the thing about family. It doesn't matter where you go. You're still part of the family. Mike Golick Jr. sort of invited himself to the party and learned the unexpected sincerity of the show and its members, even Stugatz, um, by by desperately wanting to be a part of it. Uh, he is the king of cool kicks and uh, the former sort of meathead who looks like the guy who's stealing your lunch but is actually just slipping you a, a kind note on a greeting card from the Vast Collection. He unapologetically keeps at home whenever he finds the perfect greeting card. Uh, was actually just slipping that note into your lunch to tell you how great you are um, and offering you, you know, one of his stack of donuts and wearing an ugly Christmas sweater and short shorts and um, being very uniquely himself. And he sent in this about what it felt like to ask himself to the kid's table the cool kids table and 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 i guess the surprising for many mentorship of of one stugatz in classic stugatz fashion i have left this to the last possible minute and don't really have a great plan of attack for it but uh yeah stupidity here goes nothing um i always looked at this show as the cool kids table at espn when i first got here it was a space where everyone was laughing and people seemed to be working with genuine friends in this process and so who wouldn't want to be a part of that and so after relentlessly thirst tweeting Stu Gotts on Twitter uh, enough apparently to get some of our bosses to notice I was rewarded by being locked in a studio in front of a green screen for 28 hours in the name of a fantasy football marathon in Fantasy Island with Stu Gotts that was my entrance into this show's universe and my last appearance on the show, I believe, was to b debate Bamani Jones 
in defense of Tony on the merits of peeing in the shower. And all of that feels like a really appropriate summary of just what this show has meant to me. It is a strange, weird, wonderful place. Uh, a giant sandbox full of turds where people just got to make things that felt right to them and have a lot of fun. And I enjoyed over the years getting to know all the voices on the show that everyone who listened to the show uh, got to know. And uh, I can't say thanks enough to Dan Stu. I mean, Stu Gotts has become such an incredible friend and mentor, which feels weird for people to probably hear unless you actually know Stu Gotts. And then you realize he's a really, really good dude, even if it does take him three weeks to call you when he says he's going to call you. Um, but uh, thanks to Stu, Dan, Mike, Roy, Chris, Billy, uh, uh, Tony, Allison, everyone who's been a part of this show's universe, in addition to being all hilarious and incredibly talented, I don't know if people always know or get to appreciate how supportive this group of people is once you get to know them, especially everything you do is met with a note or you know giving laughter or just kind words in general they're an incredible bunch of people and uh yeah i don't know i I love you guys looking forward to seeing whatever comes next i know you're going to crush it and i will be relentlessly downloading rating and subscribing stupidity so that cool kids table thing is very real and it's it's special to someone like me who wasn't a quote-unquote cool kid in school. I had a lot of friends and some were in that quote-unquote cool crowd, but I wasn't in the running for homecoming queen. And, it, you know, it wasn't until I got invited to a couple parties senior year that I realized, oh, these happen all the time and I'm just normally not invited. Um, and that kind of feeling sticks with you even as you get older and, and you realize that some of the things that made you feel uncool, studying hard, music, sports, things that kept you from parties and dances and stuff is what you value later and what makes you successful. But when you're, when you're a kid, um, any moment where you feel like I'm not a part of that thing that everyone admires and looks to, uh, will stick with you. Um, but you know, once you figure out how to straighten your hair and pluck your eyebrows and put on makeup and well, that's just me probably. But once you figure some of it out, um, you still can feel very confident and, and carry along with you some of those uh, feelings of inadequacy from, from being younger. And the point is that now, even um, as I'm quite happy and have found all my people in Chicago, I'm still in a bubble in Chicago and find it more difficult to connect with people at work like other people can. I can't grab drinks after a show and get to know the people I work with or go to a party or have them over um, because I'm not in Bristol or New York or L.A. or the hubs. Um, and so getting to be a part of the Dan Levitard show, Stu Gotts, suddenly felt like I was thrust into this community. And it helped me get to know people and it helped me be alongside people that I really respected and liked and found talented. And um, it was really important to me in terms of feeling like I'm not on an island at the company. You know, there were people that I worked with that I got to know on shows, but sort of once you're a part of the Levitard and Friends community, um, you feel like you can reach out to those people. Or if you're on a show with them, you have this shared experience and you bring that sensibility to whatever interaction you have on the air. And it makes the interactions better on the air. Um, it probably would have been even more so if I'd ended up doing Weekend Observations. That Sunday show that ended up being Stu Gotts and Golick Jr. was actually slated to start. In fact, I think I recommended that they call it Weekend Observations. I think I was the one who said let's. they wanted to name it after our names. I said, let's make it Weekend Observations. That's what Stu Gotts already does. And uh, while we were in the 
prep for it but hadn't actually started doing it uh the opportunity to do my own weeknight show came up and and i'm happy i did but it would have been a lot of fun to be on sunday mornings with two gods uh it would have been a whole different community i became a part of um and yeah I, I, I also could see that a lot of Sunday mornings would be fraught with me trying to organize something while Stu Gutz uh, preferred to fly by the seat of his pants. Um, and the show ended up being fantastic with Stu and Golick Jr. That is a, a bromance made in heaven. Um, and speaking of bromances, uh, George Sedano sent in something. Uh, our favorite Miami guy turned L.A. guy, uh, who I got to know from actually a lot of radio shows together, including a bunch filling in for the guys during holiday breaks right after I started doing shows with them. Uh, I didn't know them as well and I didn't know Miami as well. And he was part of the scene and he helped me dive into it, including, you know, just where to eat nearby and how to navigate South Beach. And this place, Juice and Java, is still my absolute go to like a couple times a day. I eat there when I'm down there after after George showed me to it, but uh, short showed it to me. Um but he goes way back with Stu and Dan to the old days of local radio and they've sort of watched the show grow up together and the shipping container grow up like literally become adults and uh, they even had some grand plans to take over the industry. Here's George. So I got to be honest with you. You know, I go way back with this crew, this Levitard crew. And, you know, we go back to the days in Miami where we were all doing local radio together doing all sorts of crazy things like putting Stugatz in a Hannibal Lecter mask, also strapped to a gurney for some ridiculous promotion we did where Luther Campbell, you know him as Uncle Luke, was <sighs> ripping off the hair off his chest like the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. So that's that's where my friendship with these guys begins, like going back to like, the early 2000s. And there's a lot of growth that we've seen here. You know, some more than others. Like Dan. You know what I mean. And then, of course, shipping container. Those guys have literally seen them grow into men, have children, get married, all sorts of things. I'm going to miss those guys. But as weird as this sounds... You know, I'm going to miss Stugatz the most. And the reason is strange to me when you really think about it. Because my dealings with Stugatz over the years, as I've gone back on my text messages, have been just him literally scheming at every single damn turn. It really is incredible when you think about it. I talked about this on the show one day. And I thought about all the different conversations I've had with him over the years. And whether it was things like how he and I would run every network better than every network executive. How Stugatz at one point told me to connect him with the executives that I worked for. At Fox Sports TV when I was doing the Heat broadcast, when I still worked in Miami, pre-ESPN. And he had to <laughs> he had to read off a prompter. And it may have been the single most humbling moment of his life. Because I saw the tape and good God, it was awful. But nonetheless, I still love him. I love 
that all he does is complain about what other people in the industry make and how they make more than him and why they should never make more than him. I love that, you know, he and I discuss ridiculous things like an imaginary karate dojo where you could teach broadcasters the art of the fake take. And he called it fake take root. And then the greatest part of all, look, you know, we all know that Lebetard and Poppy and company with Eric Rideholm created highly questionable. I'm still kind of annoyed that after knowing the old man for 15 years, that he got me not once, but twice. Both times, though, for an object. I'm kind of challenging the ruling there. Nonetheless, I digress. But Stugatz and I, well, <laughs> Stugatz, really, once came to me and we created, well, I created, a television show because he and I, well, mostly him, felt that, you know what, if this Eric Rideholm character can create PTI, why can't we create a show? So we created a show. And it was called Gas Bags. And there was a nose, a big nose on the set, whenever you needed to take a sniff test on something. And there was challenge flags we'd throw at each other. But most importantly, there were boo birds. And by boo birds, I mean a grown-ass man in a bird costume booing at us through a megaphone when we had a bad take. Honestly, I think that show's got legs. It really is sad, though, Stu, that you and I will never be able to do gas bags together now that you guys are leaving. I'm really hurt by it, to be honest. Or... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm hurt by it. I'm hurt by it. Listen, all the best of luck to you, Dan, the shipping container, Poppy. You know I love you. You guys really are the best. All right, now that this is over, so Sarah, let me know if you want to do that gas bag show. I'll call you about it, George. You know, I think you I think you've really got something there. Uh, I think the very first time I actually heard Dan call all of us in the media bloviating gas bags, I knew it would become a part of my vocabulary. And it has. I use it quite a bit. Uh, it's one of many of the things from the show that I repeat all the time uh, to people in my life that don't get the joke and don't listen to the show. I can't tell you how many times on my radio show or around the horn I'll say things like, oh, like Dan Levitard always says, or in Stu's record book, or some other creation from the world that they've built. And one of my all-time favorites came from a listener whose uh, limited fake Marty Smith has just absolutely made me crack up every time I hear it. And I say it to myself a lot out of the blue. Uh, here's what it sounded like. Fake Marty Smith, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, Dano, it's Marty Party. <laughs> what do you guys doing? Hey, Stu. Hey, Marty. Yeah. Hey, guys, hey. Hey, I just, hey, I just parachuted out of a plane, man, and, uh, and Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa just got down here. I'm with Nick Saban, man. Yeah, we're well, about to go bastards and on some death skis. Yeah, that's great. All right, thank you, Marty. So good. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Uh, and here's the real Marty Party, bringing his uh, signature 
sense of humor and authenticity and warmth and accent uh, to one of his favorite memories from the show. It's very difficult for me to describe the depth of admiration that I have for Dan, for Stu, and everybody that's been involved in welcoming me into the Levitard and Friends family. As you know, when they do that, they open us up to an entire group of people that is so passionate about their brand of journalism and their brand of humor and their amazing personalities and the kinship that they have and the fellowship that they share. And when you're a part of that, you feel belonging. And I have felt belonging from them now for years, and it's fulfilled me in, in unimaginable ways. I think my favorite memory is a few years ago, to, in 2017, Clemson had won the college football national championship. We went to the White House with Clemson, and I was standing at Pebble Beach, that area outside the North Lawn where you see all the reporters on CNN and Fox and all the networks every night for the 6 o'clock news, 11 o'clock news. And we were doing live shots out there. And I did a live shot with Levitard. And in the middle of it, I was holding a football. And in the middle of it, Stu goes, Marty, send somebody out for a pass. So Corey Harrell-Jack, my audio guy, was a former big-time uh, AAA baseball player, almost made it to the bigs, would have were it not for injury. I said, Corey, go run a post. So Corey runs out, and I throw him about a 25- or 30-yard laser on the north lawn of the White House. And Dan and Stu and them are laughing their ass off. And they're like, do it again, do it again. Oh, my God, that was hilarious. Do it again. And this other reporter peeks his head around the partition that separated our spots, reporting locations, and says, if you do that again, you're going to get shot. So I turned and looked in the camera, and I said, this guy over here says if we do that again, we're going to get shot. So we ain't doing that again, damn it. And we shared the best laugh, and I maintain that I have to be one of the only people who has completed a pass on the north lawn of the White House, and that is all because of Stu Gotz's mastery of the human element. I love those guys. I'm grateful for those guys. And my relationship with them ain't done. I ain't, I mean, they're going, I'm going to demand that they have me on their new show, wherever it is. Appreciate you having me on, Sarah. Thank you. It's classic. Um, and it's another nod to the way Stu Gotz's twisted brain comes up with magic. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the rules. He doesn't care about the way things should or always have been. He is a content machine because he just drops the filter altogether and lets us see him warts and fraud and all. And I remember this girl that I sort of mentor in this business started listening to Levitard show after I started going on it. And she messaged me a couple weeks in and she said, man, I used to hate that Stu Gatz guy. I did not get it why people like the show. And then after enough episodes... He's the best. He's my favorite part. And uh, there is this magically endearing uh, thing that he has going on where he's just himself. And as Dominic Foxworth, um, NFL vet, brilliant thinker, Harvard Business School grad, expert on labor relations, 
uh, perhaps best known, actually, for getting kicked off SportsCenter for talking about fleshlights and uh, saying while in the midst of a sex toy story, whatever, I don't need this job. Um, he recognized the importance of admitting that there's a little stugats in all of us and the freedom it sort of allows everybody when they can own their own depravity. Here's Nick. Obviously, Dan is really thoughtful and compassionate and loving in a weird kind of way, but it's always great. And Stu is amazingly good sport, who's <laughs> a lot smarter than most people think and a lot more hardworking than I think he gets credit for. But what Stu provides, I think, is that's pretty cool, is he reminds us all of the worst things in ourselves, which I think is healthy for us because we all have a little bit of Stu guts in us and his willingness to be able to take that and remind us when we get full of ourselves, remind us when we get lazy, remind us when we get cocky, I think is probably healthy for all of us here at the network and healthy for all the fans. I think uh, it's a problem if everyone's just pointing at Stu and don't acknowledge that they got a little Stu guts in them also. But I think the, the thing that I wanted to bring up more than anything else is just the community that they had down there and the security that it gave to a lot of us and the comfort and the confidence that it's given us to kind of uh, step into our own voice in many ways and be comfortable being weird, be comfortable being wrong, be comfortable being silly and compassionate. And obviously those things existed before this show went national or came to ESPN, but they really made it a safe place to kind of lean into the things that are different about you. And that's not just Dan and Stu. Obviously, that's Mike and Roy and Allison, who's no longer there, obviously, and 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 Chris and everybody. It's been in- incredible. Did I say Guillermo? Obviously, him too. I don't know about that new guy, though. He hasn't been around long enough to, to get no, no credit or no love. He just walk around thinking he's better than everybody else and prettier than everybody else and smarter than everybody else. Anyway, he's already gotten too much of my time. But I think that's probably the best thing about that community or about that show is the community that they created. And anyone who's ever been down there to be on HQ or to be on uh, the radio show recognizes that there's nothing like it. And it's really part of the reason why I wanted to be a part of this industry is driving home from school and, and business school and listening to that show and thinking, oh, this isn't your regular stupid sports stuff. This is kind of cool. And it put an inkling in my mind. And then part of the reason why I've stayed with ESPN is because that show has really allowed me and that community has really allowed me to understand that not only is it okay to be honest about the way you feel uh, and who you are, it's it's probably pretty profitable to be different and and eccentric and emotional and thoughtful and all the things that they are down there so they will be missed but their impact i think uh has been felt here and will be felt for years to come you know he's also super right about the freedom that dan and Stu and the show gave people to see radio and media differently uh to be who you are and not conform and i think that hope and i hope that that will be felt for years to come, because I can't say enough about what I've learned from Dan as a communicator and a radio host and analyst and TV personality and how his ease and, again, not taking himself too seriously and combining tons of knowledge and insight and intellect with the silliness and the goofiness and the willingness to be wrong uh, rubs off on other people and makes them feel more comfortable being the same way. And I also think, you know, opening up the lines of communication and, and creating this 
tree, this this sort of coaching tree, but for radio, inviting all these people into his sphere and mentoring them and helping them learn how to be great at it um, creates the connections that, that then fan out across the company, right? I can have Mina or Marty Smith or someone on my radio show and we immediately get into it as old friends and feel so comfortable with each other um, instead of sort of the stiff back and forth that you sometimes hear. Same with a, going on a sports center and, and knowing the anchor well, like an L. Duncan. I feel so comfortable going back and forth with her. You know, we go to an ESPNW summit and I'm introducing her and we, and we sound like old friends because we are now. Um, and I've said it before, I think that that magic is something that could be could be built on even more. I, I've been pitching this idea for years. They've never done it, so maybe I should stop pitching it. Maybe it's a dumb idea, but I think it's a great one that there should be a swap week on ESPN Radio where you take uh, hosts from different shows and you put them with somebody else for the week. And if you're a diehard Levitard fan and then you have a week of Stugatz and Spain, maybe you start listening to Spain and Fitz because you like what I bring. And you, you hear Fitz on with, you know, Keyshawn and Cheney and you like them and you start listening to the other individual shows. I think there's so much to be gained from the company talking to itself. And, you know, Dan points this out a lot and it's it's smart and it's true and it's not an easy fix, but it's it's the equivalent of expecting another channel that's all disparate parts to play together, right? All the shows on ABC or NBC or whatever else don't don't all know each other and they aren't referential to each other. And some of that is different topics and approaches and and, and different genres, but a lot of it is just, it's unwieldy. It's, it's hard to do. And so at ESPN, as difficult as it would be, I do think there's a chance to connect so many of these disparate parts um, on one-offs or on a week-long sort of swap and and see how it creates the connections that you saw from the Dan Levitard show. Um, you know, it comes from respecting each other and it manifests itself in ways um, beyond what you'd expect. It, it can be the warmth of understanding and knowing each other that you, that you feel um, when you care about someone and what goes on in their life because you've worked with them. You know, the way that we saw in on HQ... Dan working with his dad, the tenderness, the care that he took for his father and how much it meant to him to get to work alongside him. And so it can be warmth like that, or it can be the freedom to poke each other without fear of hurting feelings. Like you often saw with HQ and everybody on that, but especially the shows where it'd be Dan in the middle of two or three women. And it, and he would allow himself to be the butt of the joke and he would lean into it and play up his status and privilege as a man in sports radio and TV. And he would often talk to us off the air privately in one-on-one conversations or even just uh, when prepping for the show about how ridiculous it was that we had to spend time, you know, getting ready. And if one hair was out of place, someone would mention it or, you know, the the commentary about our looks and, and everything else that he didn't have to deal with. And he would offer that up and he would make his looks the butt of the joke because he wanted to skewer the way things have always been and the way people react to the industry. And, you know, we would go and sit in that seat and laugh for a straight hour taping it. And I would leave in a better mood and I couldn't wait to see how they would cut it up and edit it and couldn't wait for people to see how much fun we'd had to the point of, you know, crying tears. And it was that respect and that playfulness and that, you know, knowing each other that allowed it. And few would understand that more than Tony Reale, uh, the the all-black everything host of Around the Horn who you know, paints a Bonnie Raitt streak in his hair with gray crayon and remembers more of my life stories than I do 
of my own. He literally once corrected me about the uh, part that I played in my junior high production of The Cricket in Times Square. I had forgotten the name, and he uh, remembered it from me telling the story before. Um, And he makes his job look effortless while somehow simultaneously stunning everyone with his quick wit and his attention to detail and his sort of heartfelt end-of-segment soliloquies. Uh, He makes that look impossible while also making the job look so much easier than it is. And he lifts everyone around him. He, you know, like Dan and Stu in that show, he can shine a light on people's best qualities and he can help them deal with or laugh at their worst. And uh, Reality is a man who knows how to make connections work. Um, You know, he does it on a show with people in little boxes across the country, some of whom have never met in person. Um, And so it's not a surprise that he focused on the magic of connection and focused on it, by the way, in a way that uh, only Tony could with this... uh, tone and attitude and verbiage. Levitard and friends. I'm going to start off sounding maybe a little bit like Dan. Then I'll throw in some stew for good measure or whatever. I mean, who cares? And then I'll bring it back with a reality moment. All right. So here's the Dan part. If we are all stardust and we are all literally stardust, every atom and molecule of our being beginning long before the human race and the stars of the universe. But if that's, if that's the case, then we are all literally superhuman and out of this world. And if that's the case, that explains this intergalactic space junk of a radio show. Dan, you're a gaseous dwarf planet, a heaving black hole, face, maw, gullet, spewing malodorous expel into the air. Friends, you're each more absurd and socially outcast and aesthetic downtrodden than the next. You've elected a leader in Stugatz whose braying face buttocks ejects a daily colonoscopy prep that drenches everything in its path. Mike, the Cody's, Roy, Guillermo, Alice, and Tony, you try to avoid the sepsis, but you can't. It passes on anyway. It passes on to us. We all know that to be true, and we love you for it. So now let me be reality with you. You know there's Lebetard. You know there's friends. Here's the real secret to the show. It's the end in between. The end is everything. The end is the connection. That's what Dan and Stu and everybody else knew long before Bristol, long before anybody. How the show was ever on ESPN is the greatest three-card Monty of all time. But it's the connection. That's how Stardust creates life. It, it connects. Usually that's done by a neutron star collision. In this case, it's done by verbal poop. But it's the same thing. We all know how this show reaches us, how it affects us, how it is us and and how we have become it and and back and forth. It's because of the connection Dan and Stu and friends and everybody have supplied. It's because Dan and Stu poop. And nobody poops like Dan and Stu. It's why we'll follow them forever. We'll follow them for life. Because now we meet the end of this galaxy. It moves on. It knows no other way. Its dust must go out and poop out new stars, a new solar system. It moves on because the universe must expand because Dan will never stop expanding. Dan will never stop expanding. His face will never stop expanding. Dwarf planet. And Stu will never stop expanding his face buttocks to spew out the next. So, so expansion and a galaxy... A new galaxy far and far away is what's next. For now, we say thank you. We say thank you for the connection. We say I love you. And we say on to the next one. Love you guys. Tony Reale.
ESPN. I think he may have stolen some of that vocabulary from Moira Rose. And I would call him duplicitous for not confabulating with me about that, but understanding his capriciousness, I'll drop this silly pegadillo and refuse to feel blighted. But also, Stu, um, having, I believe it was, braying face buttocks is <laughs> is an all-timer. Uh, at an equal, if not uh, above, Moira Rose's level of greatness. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just classic reality. And the people that are attracted to Dan's orbit or that he brings into his orbit, the people that the show brings in, whether that's Stu recommending someone or Dan or Mike Ryan seeing seeing talent somewhere and wanting to bring it in as a guest or, or as a regular, um, it's pretty remarkable. And the people that the show attracts beyond our our network or the sports world, you know, Mike Schur and Adam McKay and Neil Brennan, all those brilliant people win- willing to lend their talents and, and willing to lend their insights, um, it speaks to not just, you know, I think Dan having a keen eye for talented people, but also understanding and wanting to keep a diversity of thought and opinion and vibe and background and experience in his world and that can't be underestimated. It it's really it's really true the stereotype about people hiring people who look like them and remind them of themselves and and not challenging their thought processes and looking for sycophants that will be yes men and yes women and Dan does quite the opposite of that. He really welcomes people who think differently um and wants to not get stale and wants to not have people just nod their heads and agree with them and that's so important to creating the world that they have around him. And, you know, when we were all at Dan's wedding last year, I think it was last year, time is a flat circle, but I think it was 2019 that we were all down in Miami at Dan's wedding to his absolutely gorgeous and wonderful and smart and funny wife. Um, you looked around at this collection of people that he had gathered up in his, in his life Um obviously in his personal life, but just the collection of people from, from the show and from ESPN and, and the industry and just the smartest, funniest, most talented, brilliant, kind, down to earth people, this incredible um, group of people that um, again, didn't show up and act like a-holes and didn't have attitude. And uh, that's another amazing thing. This, this industry is full of ego and full of people who take themselves way too seriously and think of themselves in a way that's so bloated and disproportionate with what they really do for the world and what they offer up. And Dan is not like that. And the people that he brings into his orbit aren't like that. So you end up at a dive bar that Mike Ryan recommends in a photo booth taking goofy pictures, or you end up, um, you know, <laughs> hanging out in this gorgeous garden kind of space where the wedding is, um, sitting on Moroccan poofs at tables and um, letting Dan Patrick regale you with stories of just absurd things. And everyone is incredibly kind and down to earth and there's no quote unquote VIP behavior. And, you know, my husband and I end up chatting with Pat Riley and his wife. I've just dropped a lot of names and that was not the point of this. There were a lot of famous people at Dan's wedding, though, admittedly. Uh, That was not the point of this. It was that he surrounds himself with great and talented and successful people, but all of those people can 
be dropped into a room with with people they don't know and and immediately pick up conversation and and there's just there's no airs and and that's a part of what also makes the show so fun is is the leveling of of everybody you know being given time and space and and care to be themselves and and to be found interesting and insightful and um that is reflected even in the people who who listen and are fans of the show i mean um, the loyalty that results from making that space that people want to be a part of that that cool kids club is unbelievable and and you saw that with what went down with chris cody and and the way the the fans rallied around him you see it with the not always kind but always incredibly busy and crowded and full of conversation reddit that this show has spawned um a whole podcast lower after hours of fans that that are super fun and and smart and witty and clever and have their own funny podcast that's an offshoot that's you know not official just something that they care enough about the show and the people on it to do and you know what it means to me to have strangers come up and call me the commish what it means to have the lower after hours and 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 lou rafter and sales make me a hat that looks like a cubs loco but says commish and then sell them and donate it uh proceeds to my charity and have just the other day a little girl a video of a little girl opening up a christmas present and it's my commish hat and she's so excited to wear it is like unreal to me it's it doesn't it doesn't feel like real life it's it's surreal and the loyalty that i feel from the fan base and the listeners for my show and my podcast and this podcast when someone knits me a pair of socks and bears colors or recommends a tv show or a podcast that's spot on like sometimes i feel like the family of listeners and internet users um and social media people in my orbit know me as well as anyone in my real life when it comes to my likes and dislikes and memes and jokes and stories that are going to make me smile. It's, it's unbelievable. People remember things that I said on the show that I don't remember. And they send along a funny soundbite or a clip or something, and it makes my day. And what the, what the Levitard show, like the, the core, Dan and Stu and the shipping container, what they have is that on just a giant scale. Just the, the devotion and the care and the way that they make other people feel by doing this thing that they love. I mean, it's it's everything. And since I started working with Dan, from almost the first day, he just became a mentor and he cared and asked me about what do you want to do in this business and how's what you're doing now? And, you know, I, I remember I was working locally at ESPN 1000 and I felt kind of lost there. You know, it had been five years or so, and I was doing some national radio on the weekends, uh, Spain and Prim, and was not being asked even to fill in at the regular shows. Um, you know, I had done a couple weekend spots at ESPN 1000, but someone would be out and they would pay for some guy from, you know, local Comcast uh, Chicago to come in and fill in, or they would freak out about someone being out and having no one to fill in. And I was sitting right there in the studio getting ready for my updates and could easily have, have filled in. And I felt like I was kind of losing, uh, you know, hours and time. I wasn't able to do other shows that I got invited to do because I had to do these updates. And it felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And Dan was super proactive about, you know, I don't, I, I thought you had a show in Chicago. We think you're great. We're bringing you down to do our show. Cause you're great. We thought you had a regular weekday show. That's crazy. You need to do something about that. You need to you need to say something. You need to 
you know, get out of there if it's not going to get you somewhere. And over the years, he would ask me, how's your radio partner and how's this doing? And and do you think they're giving you the resources you need? And what do you want to do next? And that interest, that genuine interest for someone who is as busy as he is, and I'll tell you people, the number of very nice people in this industry who just simply don't have time to care about what other people have going on is many. Perfectly nice people. They are not going to care about whether you're getting what you need and what help they can provide. And Dan has from day one. And that loyalty is a massive part of why the people in his orbit care enough about him to, you know, drop everything and do the show, to fly down and spend time. And I mean, it's fun for sure, but also it's it's knowing that he he will always be there to do stuff for them. And, you know, I've talked a lot about Dan and Stu, and they're obviously uh, in the name and the biggest parts of this, but you cannot underestimate what the rest of the shipping container brings to the show and and how talented they are and how much work goes into making it feel effortless the way it does. Um, you know, one of the things I love the most is something simple like Chris Cody's laugh, right? I texted him once and I was just like, how much joy it brings me just to hear you cackling in the background. He said he's heard that from a lot of people. <laughs> There's a lot of joy to be found just in listening to Chris laugh at everything. And Billy Gill somehow turned uh, being a, a focusless a uh, pretty terrible storyteller into a gift and an art that I want to hear about the sodas that you forgot and left behind in the toilet paper. And I've never watched a single episode of The Masked Singer, and yet I want to head into the Music Dome. And I really look forward to the recaps, even though I've never seen the show. Um, and Roy, the magical enigma that is King Roy, who is mostly quiet on the show, but very loud on social media and has a lot to say and is smart and thoughtful and insightful and kind and such a good person in person. Um, Love Roy. Uh, Mike Ryan, one of the most talented people I've ever gotten to work with and certainly admired their work from afar. I mean, what he does on that show, um, I think probably people really underestimate his sensibilities and his sense of humor and his music knowledge and his understanding of pace and rhythm and comedy and how that you know, keeps everybody all moving um, at, at, and, and going. Uh, just incredibly talented dude. And his impressions and singing, all that stuff is, is such a massive part of the show. Um, Allison, who is no longer working on the show regularly, but was such a great um, person to be down in Miami when I would go down there and be helpful with things that I, you know, had questions about or places to go and... Um, also really helpful with they would get guests sent to them for the show and if she thought it was someone I might find interesting or want to have on my show she would forward the information try to put me in touch with their rep was always just really thoughtful and kind about how she could she could help me with with my stuff even before I was part of Levitard and Friends just out of the kindness of her heart and I know she was involved with some of the Christmas present buying that would come my way from Dan and she always nailed it and was really thoughtful about that stuff too I don't really know Tony very well but Tony seems really cool. We got to hang at the wedding a bit. And I will admit that the first time Tony made any noises on the show and talked, I was like, holy shit, this guy sounds confident and probably attractive. This guy is just swooping in while Billy Gill is out and just asserting himself as the man of the house. Um, I look forward to the budding bromance between Stu and Tony. Uh, It's just it's bubbling right now. And I can feel the magic that's yet to come between those two. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people, I mean, obviously all the, the crew that we won't be going down to work with regularly at the Clevelander, those guys that worked on HQ and all the camera guys, everybody was, was fantastic. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to leave out just how much talent, you know, was coming from the whole crew there that all, all contributed to making this so special.
And so it's weird to, you know, have this podcast that became a part of the this network a couple years ago now be spinning off into something on its own. Um, and it will be sad not to get the Levitard bump because that was a real thing. It was a real thing. The, the Colbert bump was famous. The Levitard bump was real. Um, but I'm excited for them. And I know that we're all excited that we're going to get to keep listening to them wherever they go. And the show's not going to change that much. All the big pieces that you need are there. And maybe it'll be even better. Maybe the freedom will make them even better. Um, but we'll be here without them. And that's going to be too bad. And I hope that all of us still get to do appearances on their show. I hope that, you know, if enough time passes, who knows if there will need to be time, maybe a little, little period of time before they're allowed to come back and do our shows and make visits. Um but I'm excited for them and I'm excited for this pod because I think we're taking a break next week, although it's not 100 um, percent, but we'll be back and a little bit different look, a little bit different. Maybe some of the segments rejiggering a few things, um, but it will, for the most part, be the things that I love the most, which is talking to you guys about people and, and topics and uh, and things that I find interesting and hoping you find them interesting, too. Um, messing around with people's dilemmas and, and sharing things I've read and seen that I think are, are cool and just getting a chance to sort of scratch any itch that I have in terms of content and, and people. And so all that good stuff, all the interviews and everything else will still be on it. It'll just look a little different. And uh, since this was the last show under Levitard and Friends, I wanted to take this time and invite some people on to share some of their memories and thoughts about it too. And uh, I mean, I guess the only way to end is is uh, to say in the immortal words of, of Tony Reale, nobody poops like Dan and Stu, which is why we will follow them forever and we'll follow them for life. So looking forward to seeing where the guys end up and I'll, I'll meet all of you there. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. Mm-hmm.